for young people today. They are living in a very compelling time to not only use their money, but potentially leverage into other people's money to pick up some assets. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, a code cracker. We're going to dig into the Forex growth plan and using other people's money. Yes, do you like the idea of not using your money to financially free yourself? Well, if that's the case, you've come to the right podcast because today is all about understanding the real estate market. It's actually about reaching in and working out how to build an asset base primarily using other people's money. We'll have a good chat about it. And of course, uh, welcome back, my regular urban property investor listeners. I hope you're doing well wherever you are. And of course, if it's your first time clicking play, well, welcome to the show we have a few rules here. The first rule is play the show in double speed. Get your life back. I don't sound like a chipmunk. Speed me up. Speed your world up. And of course, uh, the second rule is that all the episodes I've done are actually lessons on real estate. So feel free to listen to over 100 episodes on how to understand this crazy real estate world. Yes, there are plenty of episodes there that may link to the question or riddle that's in your head. But of course, uh, if you've got any questions, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. I'm getting a few questions coming in, which is great. So it helps me see where everyone is at. And of course, um, we all have to start at some point and sometimes you've got to run with the back of the pack when it comes to real estate. You've got to understand what people are concerned about. And certainly one concern which I hear a lot from people is just how to build an asset base. And so today I wanted to have the other people's money conversation because certainly when it comes to building a powerful portfolio, You've got to sometimes think about real estate a different way. It shouldn't be all about you putting your money into the marketplace. There are other ways to think about it. So things are good. Things are good in my world, except uh, my dog was doing zoomies. Little Raffi, the Gopnik dog, the little mini bull terrier was zooming around the house. If you're not familiar with the zoomie, uh, well, bull terriers, they basically do spins and they... uh, have a lot of energy and so they run and so I decided to zoom with my dog I was zooming around the house chasing him he was chasing me then uh, my foot basically smashed into the sofa and uh, I think I broke my toe because my toe was pointing in a different direction than the normal direction that it typically points in Uh, it was sticking right out there So I had to uh, push it back together. I've taped my toe to my other toe. So my pinky is taped to the one next to it at the moment. And my foot is like, yeah, massive. It's like a big 
bruised foot. So I'm doing this uh, podcast with potentially a broken pinky. But hey, I'm here to push through, folks. Uh, Pain's not going to stop me podcasting because uh, this show, well, it never sleeps. But let's get into today's program. I think uh, it's a good conversation, the Forex Growth Plan. It's, it really is the Bible of real estate, in my opinion. And uh, it's got a lot of good bits in it. One day when we meet, maybe in person, I'll be able to sort of show you the, the layers. It's like a, a bushka doll. You, you unpack it and it's got more stuff in it. But the Forex Growth Plan is something I've always tried to invest by. It's really a simple plan. Most of you have heard it dozens of times. It's really the idea that if we can buy well, choose a good location, choose a solid market and create some influences that push the value, emotional factors that enhance the value of real estate, we're going to ultimately have a great property as an investment. So we're going to peel back the onion layer into the buying well part because I think that's the part where other people's money ultimately sits in. The reason uh, today's show sort of came about, uh, I've had a few conversations certainly with people uh, of younger ages than I, uh, people in their 30s, and a lot of them sort of point to the fact that the real estate market is pricier than certainly when I bought my built my early portfolio or even their parents went out and bought real estate. And of course, uh, we all go through transformation. There are different economic times and there are different cycles of change. And I try and sort of explain the fact that real estate will always go through innovation and change and price uh, corrections you know, when my parents were buying real estate in the 60s and 70s, leverage wasn't even a thing. You had to ultimately buy cash or you had to use other people's money. Uh, my dad used other people's money to, to buy his first property. The person's money that he used was the seller. He got vendor finance, not traditional bank finance. And so other people's money has been around in every cycle. And it really is something that I think is an important comprehension that people built their portfolios in the 60s and 70s using other people's money. In the 80s and 90s, really the banks opened up lending at a wide level at a low LVR rate. The deregulation of banking allowed for us to use bank money, other people's money, but there are innovations along the way. And certainly, uh, I think for young people today, they are living in a very compelling time to not only use their money, but potentially leverage into other people's money to pick up some assets because I think the future as well is very bright. I mean, if you think about the era that I grew up, probably there was a lack of innovation in the world. Um, you know, fast food was Pizza Hut and, you know, you, you had to actually go to the hut. You had to sit in a hut 
and uh, ultimately have a buffet. That was basically fast food, the Pizza Hut buffet. Uh, cars didn't really even have seatbelts. Your mum's arm was the seatbelt. It was basically the model of the world. A pair of Nikes were a luxury item. Uh, to to get some Reeboks was like, wow, like you must be rich if you're wearing a pair of Reeboks. And TV was simple, like SBS was considered out there. Uh, and TV wasn't even 24 hours. It used to turn off at around 12 midnight and you would just basically get a fuzzy screen and a... Uh, circle on your TV screen. So the reason I sort of highlight that is we're all living in different eras. And of course, back then, there was a real lack of innovation, a lack of ways to earn money. Uh, The wages were very, very low compared to where they are today. And of course, um, one of the challenges I think people have compared to when I was sort of starting out as a property investor and growing up was the fact there was a lack of innovation was certainly also meant there was a lack of places to spend your money. Um, you know, Pizza Hut was a Friday night thing. There was no such thing as Uber Eats. You couldn't, um, you know, ultimately afford Nikes. So everyone wore, you know, typically KT26s. And uh, you didn't have things like online subscriptions of Apple and Amazon and, uh, you know, Netflix and things like that. So I certainly think the biggest challenge for young people today is just making sure they don't throw their good money into really the uh, the world, the fast, innovative world we live in today. Uh, you know, digital marketing will come at you, online shopping will come at you, easy payment options for uh, retail goods will come at you. We live in a consumer culture. There's a lot of peer influence because of social media. And today, you know, subscriptions Uh, are way more abundant than they certainly were in my era. But the counter-argument to that is, of course, is because you have a global market now, not just a local market, you've got access to the world, there's a digital framework that anyone can learn, um, and there are ways to make money through certainly online activities uh, that basically everyone has access to. So not only can you have a job today to to fuel your investment processes, but you can probably also have a very viable side hustle. And I know so many people that ultimately have very viable side hustles and a very good job and are making a bucket ton of money as young entrepreneurs, uh, young uh, workers that was ultimately very difficult to do, um, certainly in my era. And the reason I talk about this is I think sometimes demographically and generationally, we all sort of go, it was easier for the next person. But uh, it's 
ultimately was hard in every generation coming through the funnel. Today, of course, real estate is a higher price point and it means for a lot of people, it's going to take them a lot longer to save a deposit to eventually enter the marketplace. And we are seeing those real statistics that today the average person enters the real estate market by age 38. Uh, Generations before that, it was in the late 20s. Now it's in the late 30s. So it's very, very important, I think, to, to work out, well, okay, most of society feels a bit deflated. Um, what can I do about just using other people's money to get ahead? As I said, when my dad got ahead in the 60s, it was using other people's money. When I first bought my first property, it was using other people's money. And uh, when I bought my first property, it was a combination of my savings, but also government grants, other people's money. And so other people's money is available to property investors, whether they're buying the first home or their first investment. And I want to sort of talk you through the logic of it so that you just basically get out there and get into it. And of course, if you've built a small property portfolio, the concepts are the same because again, as you build a portfolio, quite often your capital diminishes, your ability to recycle equity um, is also a challenge because of servicing and things like that. So today, you know, quite often, I think um, we need to think about real estate by going back to some of the original uh, godfathers of real estate investment. And, and obviously, one of the best in the business was Robert Kiyosaki. And Robert Kiyosaki always taught the principle of other people's money. So if I dig into the Forex growth plan, the Forex growth plan really has a section around, you know, doing a deal, making money, buying. And really, the buying is really where you get your first uh, ability to make money out of a property deal. To me, it's not the be all and end all. I would prefer a higher rate of growth, a better location and a better marketplace and really uh, influences that are going to create a higher level of capital growth from an emotional marketplace than just buying a deal at a low price, which carries no drivers thereafter. But certainly you can get all four. And, uh, you know, starting out with the deal is, is important because doing a deal is effectively using other people's money. And uh, again, when I look at, you know, just the simple comprehension of using other people's money, it's getting a discount. It's, uh, it's, it's the idea that in the Forex growth plan, you can use other people's money by simply buying really, really well. Now in the Forex growth plan, there's other people's time, there's other people's money, there's other people's design, and there's other people's relationships. These are all principles of navigating your way through building a portfolio. Now, I will say the main concept of using other people's money is when you're acquiring assets. Remember, there are kind of three phases to investment. There's the first phase, which is building up asset base through acquisitions. 
The second phase is really consolidating your position. What that can look like is selling down a property, upgrading a property, lowering your debt. And the third phase is really that legacy principle where your investments now work for you and you can extract really the wealth out of those investments to to give up your day job, to do something else with your life. So the easiest way to use other people's money is to begin with the banks. The banks are obviously right into the real estate world. And it probably should give people a little bit of comfort that really here in Australia, everyone's uh, on the uh, really the candy of property and the banks are really in the system as much as we are. And the fact that really as a first home buyer, you can borrow really an extreme amount of money using the bank's money is amazing to me. Today, people can still get sort of a 95% loan if they want using the bank's money. And of course, the federal government has all sorts of schemes connected to lenders' mortgage insurance where they'll chip in for that. So not only can you get started using the bank's money, you can get started using taxpayers' money to get into the market uh, to begin with. And of course, the idea of real estate is, is leverage, right? It is a game of leverage. This is the whole principle of real estate investment. That, you know, you can take $50,000, buy a $500,000 property um, and get 10% growth on $500,000, 50 grand. And of course, you get a 100% return on your investment, which in that example was $50,000. So use the banks, use the banks. The banks are there for this model. They love real estate, they believe in real estate, and they certainly um, have a model today where even investors can borrow 90%. Um, So leverage yourself up and be happy. I even once wrote a book that was fundamentally the title, How to Be in Debt uh, for Millions and Happy About It. You know, it is really the concept that real estate investment is under. Uh, If you don't leverage, if you don't throw enough capital into the market, you won't end up in a place where you want to be. And really, today, the biggest challenge for people is access to capital. So if you've got a small amount of seed, you want to put it into the market, you want to go see the banks borrow their money, and you want the right property to return that capital back to you. And quite often, we Uh, even explore what that looks like in the form of equity. Banks are abundant in Australia, but we even have non-banks, which again are private lenders or private institutions that will lend you money. Now, I'm buying a property right now and uh, my broker sent through the lender that they're recommending. Never heard of them. I've never, ever heard of these people in my life. Uh, is that a deterrent? No, not whatsoever. They've got the product I want. It's a superannuation product. It's got an offset. Uh, they've got a good rate and they're offering good leverage. So 
the cool thing about building a portfolio is if you structure it right with the right broker, you can probably buy a couple of properties. Uh, you can use the banks, you can use non-banks. And even for building asset bases using other people's money, quite often as you grow your portfolio, you run out of lending options. And that's where quite often non-banks sit. They do allow people to even do low-doc loans, uh, low-LVR loans, um, all sorts of all sorts of stuff in that space. The point of today's conversation is, however, that this is the model. We want to use their money to create capital in our world, which is really an exciting part of the puzzle, if you ask me. And of course, uh, government is another access point for just about everybody in the real estate market use their money. And uh, governments will always have programs of incentivizing people into the market. And of course, quite often we see this with first home buyers getting access to uh, grants uh, and, uh, and stimulus to get out and about and uh, buy some real estate. We get building boosts. We get stamp duty relief. We get all sorts of funds and concessions thrown at us. And of course, it is a great way to use other people's money to financially succeed. Uh, I know a lot of people that jumped into the real estate market off the back of Home Builder. Now, was Home Builder ultimately a good idea? Probably not. But for those people that used it, it was free money, free money, other people's money. It wasn't their money, it was other people's money. And it's quite crazy to think that here in Australia, the government will give you money to buy real estate. It's, it's quite perverted in some respects. But as we know, real estate is the big rock of economics. The more real estate under construction, the more construction worker jobs there are, the more tradies are, are working and, and employed and prospering and circulating money into the economy. And so, again, great way to use other people's money. And of course, if we examine Home Builder, and the stimulus of COVID, we can see that the government actually creates what is known as the wealth effect. This really goes back to Keynesian economics, the idea that the government can economically stimulate growth in the economy, which indirectly benefits your investments by increasing asset values and the overall profitability of real estate. And so what you'll find inside of real estate is that you can just buy real estate and because the government is always trying to create activity in the economy, you're going to use government policy to create money for yourself. Other people's money, taxpayers' money being spent on stimulus, being spent on the wealth effect, ultimately creates wealth for you. It's not your wealth being poured into the overall economy. It's 26 million taxpayers. It's iron ore revenue from Western Australia. All this stuff 
creates the effect that other people's money will make you wealthy. Now, you can drill into some more direct strategies to use other people's money to succeed in real estate. As I alluded to in the 60s, my dad used vendor financing to buy real estate. I've certainly used vendor financing to buy real estate in the past. I've used things like installment contracts to buy real estate where I've leased a property, uh, I've paid uh, a rent for the lease and an installment deposit uh, to form a deposit with a vendor and used their financing, them lending me money where I'm basically paying them a rate for the leverage for a period of time, vendor financing. And certainly in the commercial world, you'll find that if you are extracting or drifting into commercial real estate, there is a lot of opportunity to speak to a commercial institution who are the vendors and get them to lend you money and basically help, they will help you buy the asset off them, which is, again, amazing. It's other people's money. It's not my money. Uh, and in that particular situation, I bought a commercial property on the Gold Coast and uh, the vendor basically allowed me to use their finance after a rent period to go from a renter to a buyer and uh, through that period, I basically installed a deposit and eventually borrowed money off them to hold the asset, which again, uh, it's probably less common in residential, but certainly in commercial, it's a very, very common concept, other people's money. How do you use leverage to financially get ahead in this world? And of course, there are some direct ways to wheel and deal with vendors to just use their capital. Um, you know, vendors have all sorts of, of ways to work with them. Some of the times vendors are in distress and they will offer massive discounts on their property, really offering the property below market value, which of course the value between below market value and market value is their wealth. You're using their wealth to get ahead. Uh, and of course, some more commercial vendors will do carrybacks uh, and abatements so that you can walk away with money. Um, it's not uncommon for rebates to be a thing in real estate. It's not uncommon for vendors to, to look at, um, you know, using other people's money to direct you into real estate. And I've certainly seen when there's periods of low activity, vendors are very, very keen to do deals. Uh, I've done deals where foreign investors have put deposits down on Australian real estate, 20% deposits on very good localised Australian real estate and been unable to settle spoken to the vendors and said, well, you've already got a deposit from someone else. Uh, why do you need another deposit? Uh, what if my client was to buy the asset off you 
and ultimately the deposit you have from another party is injected into their space. It can get disclosed to the bank and away we go. And all of a sudden you're using foreign investors deposit default to leverage into real estate using other people's money. So there are all sorts of ways to play this thing called real estate. And again, uh, when you've got the right uh, deal, you can disclose what you're doing and you're off to the races and there are lenders out there that will support your move. Again, um, this is just the game of real estate using other people's money. Why do we use other people's money? Because most people are capital poor. You, most people can't save for a large deposit. And of course, the ability to keep moving and extracting equity and to, to service that equity is just getting harder and harder and harder. And of course, this is where quite often one of the best ways to use other people's money is to actually just joint venture with someone who's wealthier than you. And uh, again, this is where you can come up with a partnership joint venture process where you co-invest with someone. And it may mean that you do the legwork and they've got a little bit of capital and you joint venture on a debt together. And I think right now there is just so many baby boomers out there with a gazillion dollars uh, that no doubt would love to invest more, but don't have jobs, but they have a lot of capital. And if you provide the reason for them to put their capital into a real estate, the servicing, you can form a small little co-investment joint venture concept together. You use other people's money to get ahead. And I've certainly co-invested and joint ventured um, in my world. Uh, I've done deals which have lasted five years where the joint venture agreement is effectively, let's buy something together. Uh, you know, I've got some servicing, you've got some capital, let's, uh, let's make this happen. And um, I've put together smaller joint ventures for myself whereby I've just created a buy-sell arrangement after a fi fixed term of five years. And, um, you know, the right property, right asset, uh, even though five years is, is really a speculative time frame, um, you know, the right property in the right location can perform in, in five years. And again, it, it's all about, well, okay, now it's time to trade that asset um, and extract a share of the capital and use the joint venture system to create capital to then go into an individual space. Now, I would say probably, you know, two to three of my earlier deals um, off the top of my head, probably let's think about it, two of my deals that I, I can remember, I mean, going back 20 years, but were joint ventures where it was like, let's team up together, uh, increase our servicing, uh, use capital um, and buy something and just hold it short term to create capital to then go in our own direction. 
And it's a great way to, to get ahead in this world. Great way to get ahead. Obviously, as well, real estate is full of other people's money. And one of the, the, the best ways to explain using depreciation is that the Australian government will use their money to give you annuity, give you cash flow from just owning real estate which is, again, it's, it's, it's quite perverted that the Australian uh, tax uh, payer will pay you as an individual property investor uh, money by virtue of depreciation tax credits when you own a modern property in Australia. And again, it's an amazing principle that you can actually buy an asset, a dwelling, and turn it into cash flow. Uh, it's not your cash flow. It's obviously other people's cash flow. And so we can see where this conversation is going, that real estate is ultimately a game of other people's cash. And, uh, you know, there is no simpler way to explain it than a tenant. A tenant is other people's money. It's not your money paying the rent, it's someone else's money. So the beautiful thing about property investment is particularly when it comes to holding the real estate, not only do you proportionately hold real estate by using tax depreciation credits, you hold it using renter's income. And of course, if you were to think of a pie chart of cash flow and real estate, you know, ultimately you can be as little as 10% of the cash flow uh, cost to own real estate. 90% will come from tax credits and rent, other people's money pouring into your real estate. And uh, this is the best way, again, to get ahead when it comes to making wealth happen in your world. And of course, you know, there are more direct things you could, you could do. You could look at overcapitalized real estate, which is, you know, a beautiful renovation, the Taj Mahal. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's basically got a lot of inherent value in the building, you jump in there and buy it and you're using an overcapitalized asset to create money using other people's overcapitalization in your world. So the real estate market is set up for success. And, uh, you know, obviously even things like the idea that equity is air it's it's not even real right like the end of the day uh you can use equity which is a intangible concept it's not a liquefied concept so you can use equity to succeed in this world and equity of course is just the concept that your real estate goes up in value when you minus out the lvr position uh, you may be left with a proportionate extra level of money that you can extract. 
And, uh, you know, let's say you've got a million dollar property and your debt is $500,000 on the property. Um, you know, you've got $500,000 worth of wealth. You may be able to borrow at a certain LVR against the $500,000 worth of debt. So maybe you could borrow at 80% of a million dollars. Uh, you got $500,000 worth of debt. 80% is 800 minus 500. You got $300,000 of equity. Uh, it's not uh, liquid as in the concept that you've bought something and sold it. You've literally got something which is air and you can go into the bank and say, I've got this air, this, this money, this magical money, and I want to access it. I've got a job, I've got servicing, can you allow me to extract that equity? And of course, that is a form of other people's money. So it's a, it's a beautiful conversation. And of course, other people's money relates to the system of inflation. The fact that debt is eroded by inflation is amazing. The fact that you can borrow money that will deflate by virtue of inflation is incredible. You know, the fact that I've got loans, which I took out 20 years ago, whereby, you know, the math of the day was, you know, you could spend $100 and get 100 cans of Coke. Today, you spend $100 and you get 50 cans of Coke. The money is becoming worthless as it as inflation unfolds. And again, the fact that I can use banks' money, which actually uh, inflation erodes the value of the debt I have with the bank, is really using other people's money, the concept of, worldwide economics inflation to financially free myself up, which again is just an amazing, amazing concept. And of course, free riding is really one of the best ways to use other people's money. And I often talk about this a lot on the podcast is that really when you think about it, Australia's got a lot of public works underway, a lot of new train stations being built, new shopping malls being built, new um, free rides that if you just know where to buy, you can free ride public infrastructure. Uh, you know, tunnels that connect suburbs to speed up those suburbs and make them more livable. Trams and train lines which create livability uh, improvement for areas. And again, like you can have a train line go to one suburb that helps 2,000 people paid by 26 million Australians. 26 million Australians aren't going to be the beneficiary of that one train line, just those 2,000 people in that suburb or where the hospital's going. And so you can get this public works infrastructure free ride, which is completely designed around other people's money. So that's the beauty of real estate. You can use a vendor's deposit, get a government stimulus, use the bank's money, 
use government depreciation, rebates and deductions, the tenant's rent, and fund real estate uh, that will grow based on other people's money through the wealth effect. Uh, You can buy next to other people's money, providing public works and infrastructure. It can be done. You can do it. You've just got to get out there and think outside of the box. And quite often, I think a lot of people in real estate are very conditioned to think linear. Go to work, come home, save some money, uh, and buy just that one property and then work for the next 50 years. It doesn't necessarily have to be done that way. Big business doesn't work that way. I can assure you that if you go and rent a property off a commercial institution, they're going to use their money to help you succeed. They'll give you abatements and all sorts of discounts on uh, on your on your leases. They will help vendor finance you. They'll do all sorts of stuff. Big business works that way. And of course, the right deal and the right location, a really good discount, an overcapitalized property, property next to a new future suburban piece of infrastructure. It's all based on other people's money. Whether it's getting a government grant to get started, whether it's jumping on a bonus, which just randomly pops up where a state government goes, rightio, everyone, no stamp duty for the next six months. It's all other people's money. Real estate is a game of other people's money. And uh, for a lot of property investors, it's about getting your foot in the door. And I always think that it is an important factor that you, for you to get to the best end of the real estate marketplace, for a lot of people, they don't earn half a million dollars a year. They don't have several hundred thousand dollars in capital to deploy and to put into the blue ribbon areas of society. So they've got to use other people's money, acquire real estate, and then leapfrog into better assets as a two-step process. So hopefully it's explained sort of acquisitions because acquisitions is really just about deploying money and creating capital and having enough seed investment out in society. So, hey, thanks for tuning into the show. I'll catch you on the next episode as we talk more real estate. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.